Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Kaya, and welcome to The Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew Pierce, and this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wajak people of Bulu, and I pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. On this episode, I chat with director Ingvar Kenny about his haunting film, The Land, which screened in 2022 at the Sydney Underground Film Festival and Europe's Snowdance Film Festival, where Ingvar won the Best Direction Award. The Land follows Jeremy, played by Steve Rogers, and Neitz, played by Annalise Phillips, a couple who have a life that many would envy. They have a three-bedroom house, they have a busy family, and they've been married for 14 years. They also have a remote property in the middle of nowhere, which Jeremy visits with his distant friend Simon, played by Cameron Stewart, who returns after a sojourn overseas. His return sets Neats on edge, as Simon seeks to atone for something that happened long ago. As they head out onto the land, Neats is left with the children, who she swiftly leads with her mother, who she appears to have a fractious relationship with, so she can spend some time by herself. Yet, it's out on the land that Jeremy and Simon's friendship is both fortified and tested as they unsettle aspects of the past that disrupt who they are as people. Performances across the border are exemplary, with Steve and Cameron building off their real-life friendship to portray a friendship that has been tested by distance and time, even though the echoes of it still exist. For Annalise Phillips, the moments of solitude where she's finally able to relieve some pent-up tension, both in a physical and emotional sense, are all too relatable. In the following interview with Ingvar, we talk about the foundation of the land and how his friendship with Stephen Cameron helped create this genuinely powerful film. Our conversation does include discussion about trauma and abuse, so if these aspects are triggering for you, then maybe skip this interview. For everyone else, please enjoy this discussion with Ingvar. To keep track of where the film will be available to view in the future, please visit thelandmovie.com. And for other interviews and reviews, visit thecurb.com.au. For now, here's the trailer for The Land, followed by the interview with Ingvar Kenny. When's the last time you went to the land? He's really come into his own, you know. It's not the guy you used to know. I miss you. become a superstar, eh? How'd <laughs> <laughs> it go? Jez, you can talk to someone else here. Jane Phillips. You don't ever think about her. She's never getting away from me. 
She's up in here. She was scared. She went to the cops. She was scared. And if there'd been a case to answer, then why didn't we? Thank you very much for your time and being able to talk about your film, The Land. I thought it was a very, very striking film and quite, you know, wonderfully performed and and framed and just a very, very curious uh, narrative as it unveils itself. So I imagine you're very proud of it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were all kind of relieved as well as as happy with what we've done. I think eight to 10 years ago, we shot this. And so, um, it's it's so nice to see it finally in the shape that we we're all pretty happy with and and kind of out there now. So, so I understand that the script had kind of been in process for a while, and that you came on a little bit later on. Can you talk about that process of becoming involved with uh, Stephen Cameron's script and helping bring it to life? The longer version is that there were mates of mine at the time. My wife Annie as uh, an actor, and I met. We sort of all hung out as as just couples and friends. Um, and is in the film, by the way. Uh, and 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 I had a, a property. We still have, I still have the property uh, up in the bush. And and Stephen, myself, and Cameron went up for a for a boys' weekend. And and that's how it kind of started. And after a pretty hectic weekend and three months going past, they came back to me with a script and said we had this script lying around. Oh, you know, I've been tinkering with for years. And after that weekend, they decided to pretty much rewrite, oh, definitely all the settings. Uh, and have it set in the bush mainly. And I never read the original script, but the core premise of, of basically the history comes knocking on your door and, and, you know, what takes place after that. It was, that stayed in the film, but there was a lot of rewriting for them. And I was involved from that moment on with the script revision, I guess. We sat all sat down occasionally and just talked about where they're at and, and how that would work as a film. And with with that in mind, did you have like a, a idea of the themes that you wanted to explore or that you wanted to discuss with the film that you were able to kind of say, hey, I think that we should move the script into this direction? Or what, what kind of conversations took place basically about framing and constructing that script going forward as a script supervisor in a way? Yeah, I think they had the framework very much in place. And, and I think it's drawn so much from real life. So, you know, there's certain aspects of the film that is drawn very heavily from Steve's character's real life. You know, his, his kids are in the film and we shot it at his house. And, you know, like place informed, I think, where the script was taken sometimes. And remember that this the script was written without dialogue. So it was all about the scene breakdown. Uh, and and the scene uh, intention, you know, are we driving the character form of this scene alone, or is it actually story development in that scene? Or so so that took place. I think where I, I could offer was, you know, I have such knowledge of this piece of bush that we shot because I've been there for twenty years. And again, oh, let's you know, what's the intention now? Oh, it's 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 this kind of history of competition, I guess. 
okay, where should we set that? Oh, let's do this Bush Olympics, which is a thing that happened between the three of us when we initially went up there. We just started this game. So I guess we're all competitive. And and so a lot of things was informed, I guess, by the weekend we had, but also uh, individual knowledge of, of where we were shooting it. But it was their, it was their script. They, they wrote it from the get-go. And I came on, I think I was pushing for Annalise's character to stay in the film. I think very, very early on she was, she was once the boys left for the land, she was not really much part of the film, and so there was that was part of just developing her character, and and um, they wrote it. They even talked to Annalise there once we decided that Annalise was the actor, and, and she was on board. You know, we had conversations with her, and she also fed into that. That's. I mean, I'm so glad that you said that you you know decided to keep her in there because her presence that as she appears as the guys are out on the land and you know doing what they're doing and stuff like that, it really informs their relationship you know with so much strength uh in in quite a fascinating way and it's almost as if each of the que- the characters is questioning themselves as to what the benchmark of what they can tolerate from one another is and you know between the two men they push against one another to see where that benchmark is but for her when he's gone and then she takes the kids to her mum's place and it's just like this is my benchmark and this is the life that I don't want to live anymore. And I found that so fascinating and just the manner that it's also not force fed into the viewer or anything like that. We're, we're left to glean that from how they actually interact with people. I, I thought it was really powerful in that sense. Yeah, she does really well because, you know, in truth and honest, you know, imagine a script without dialogue, but then also imagine her reading her scenes, not having much of people to bounce off, you know, like once, you know, there are scenes, but you know, a lot of it's her own thoughts that she somehow has to portray without any dialogue to help her and just the camera sitting on her. She's kind of numb, I've felt, like she she's walking numb through life and, and, and as in, in, you know, I think it goes for all characters in the film, they can't even talk about anything, you know, they can't talk about how they really feel. And when she's alone, she, in order to access something that makes her feel, she, she sort of try to activate all her senses, I feel. You know, she's jumping in the cold water or she's, she's testing someone's water or looking through someone's photographs in the scene and going through the office. And that's how we try to get inside her head by showing those, you know, actions, I guess. Yeah. With that in mind, obviously you've got the framework of the script there with it, without the dialogue, but I'm curious what groundwork you did outside of the script to help the actors get to the, the point that we meet them with their characters. What kind of uh, foundational work did you set up for them to build upon? Because the actors are also the writers and producers, uh, I'm talking about Cameron and Steve, um, we had a lot of discussions. I feel like it came from all of us. And, and sometimes it was like, a, you know, it's a, it's a non-funded uh, production. We, you know, the discussions were, you know, we could change something very rapidly and, and not kind of rely on the script and so forth. And, and I feel like um, sometimes I didn't even feel like a director. It's like it direct, I was directing it. It felt like the roles we had was very fluent. You know, they were the writers. I had chats with them about writing. I'm the supposedly the director, and you know, we have Greg involved, Ferris, who uh, knows everything about film and and supported the film that way with his all his knowledge. And then we have scenes, say with Annie Finstra, that scene, that's her real life story. You know, she didn't fall off a horse. She had car accidents, two of them, but everything else is true to. So she, so we show, okay. So the intention of the scene was clarified. And then we went to Annie with said, 
do you mind telling your story? Uh, it was slightly twisted. Um, but that I, I'd asked Steve to sit down with her and flesh that story out because I felt like I was too close to because I've known that story for so long. Um, so I felt I wasn't the right person to, to work on it. So Steve and Annie sat down somewhere in a bar one night and talked about it, how it should transpire. So sometimes it was like, and sometimes I went to one of the actors and, and, and threw them around, out of the script and said, I want to do this and not tell the other one. It was very important. Oh, we tried to get that first take through reaction, which is I feel like we tried to build the whole film without artifice and, and in, in, from a technical standpoint, like just not, not try to resort to trickery, any additional lighting except maybe one scene or two scenes. At night time, we had to have lighting, but uh, the way uh, the script was written and, you know, first take wonder and see if, if that you know we wanted it to be as real as could be and draw from our own stories you know i i take it as well you wouldn't have had rehearsals then in in that sense no no nothing i mean i, I think there was one scene i rehearsed with cameron and we were in the bush and he we he wrote but we talked about what he needed to say um we just felt like we need we needed to drop names and we need you know that needed to be this is the moment where the audience finds out about the rape and and so we needed to get it just right but there's so much improvisation that in that scene i was watching steve using uh because his fair skin he was putting some sunscreen on i said go and get that now for the scene so what they do with that bottle of sunscreen or what happens with that it's all you know, not nothing is rehearsed. Yeah, just pulling from real life. But yeah, a couple of times there was nothing to rehearse, and because they knew their stories so intimately anyway, they wrote it from them. And Annalise, everyone had a backstory which was drafted. You know how they met back in uni days. Uh, Annalise had her story as well. How she met her husband. So that was drafted up and talked about amongst all of us. And so the the character knew who they were and and the relationships with each other. And so um, that's why I think they, you know, beyond them being great actors, it's how the improv improvisation really worked. They had they had the meat for that to draw from. Yeah, you're shooting out the remote area. You're far away from anything. You can't check that you've actually got the shot or the sound properly, and you're doing a lot of things improvised. That's a lot of stress for <laughs> a director. <laughs> how did you manage that? How did you deal with that? Well, I, I think uh, I don't. Like, uh, I feel stressed about work a lot, but not in this case. I think because we're a family of friends, you know, and Greg, again, he's, he's such a, he, he's such a calmness and, and knowledge. So it felt like I was just leaning at him with all, with all the kind of, is it sharp? You know, what I need to set the camera, like all those practicalities, uh, as well as other things. And, and, um, I hadn't done a, a short film even. It's my first project. And I think maybe the expectations on, how this is going to go kind of felt lower because of my inexperience, I guess, for me. Like, no one is expecting uh, anything, including, you know, like, and, and for a while they felt like, will this film ever happen? Because we did not have any ba- uh, backing. So I guess it came on slowly that uh, we all felt that we were doing something that we kind of like. Um, that came on kind of later in the game. And, and, and those kind of physical obstacles like no no electricity uh while we're shooting no payback opportunities and all those things what it did enable was us to rely on intuition and kind of be really pre i mean i'm sure any directors in any situation is extremely present what's happened but you know it was like a, a communal feel like we got this this scene is done you know and then technically we're just hoping 
and you know we had enough power on the computer to just play back at that night in, in front of the campfire to make sure that was sharp and, and I don't think we ever had to reshoot anything oh I think I forgot to turn the camera on on once and <laughs> we had to reshoot the next day <laughs> but you know lack of money is not something I want to work under always but not having outside money coming and, and dictate what you do is it was a really a beautiful thing to work under. And I think time as well, because we shot it around weekends when everyone was able to find time away from family and other things work, that the time in between, as frustrating as sometimes was, that you couldn't move on or something, it, it, it's good to sit on things sometimes and not just pound on day after day and, and, and no time to reflect on what you're actually doing. And because we had to shoot it chronologically or, you know, as per script, as much as possible because since it's improvised we didn't know what you know one scene then informed the next in some ways that that's already been talked about you can't talk about that so we had to shoot it from a lot of as much as humanly possible you could the script was kind of building as we as we shot it so you know scenes were deleted at a whim or at, or rewritten uh you know what needs to happen uh at times because we could and uh, <laughs> that's the thing like i've talked to a lot of filmmakers about the almost the freeing nature of not having the financial input from somebody else. But then there is, you know, the the uncertainty, as you're saying, and it's trying to find that balance of where is the money coming from? How are you funding this thing and that kind of stuff? And it's very, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to find that balance uh, and create a film at the end of it. But I'm curious, obviously, outside of being a filmmaker, you work as a photographer too, and you must have experienced that kind of, you know, the the influence or the presence of money or where money is coming from to fund projects in a photography sense. So were you able to bring any of those experiences to the film or having that kind of understanding of how to navigate things uh, on a financial sense uh, from your photography to the film? I, I think no. I don't think I have a good sense of money. Like I'm not, um, I have to know what society you know, with like when we were married, you know, me and Annie both being freelancers, that it's just it's been an existence of hand to mouth, and sometimes things come in and sometimes they don't, don't. So, I wouldn't be a person to ask about how to how to manage funds. But I think what it, what I what I'm what I might have brought into it that that I've been practicing a lot in my photography is long term. Well, I've been shooting long term projects, so I'm a I have staying power. I guess I don't really give up on something I believe in. So, you know, some of my photographic projects, one is still ongoing 29 years after I started it, which is a series of portraits. And, and, you know, most of them, none of them is shorter than four or five years, really. When we were faced, having shot the film and then we're faced with post-production, are we going to make, because, you know, Greg, Greg, and I, Greg did the first pass on the film over two years, uh, lots of re-edits and assemblies. And, and then um, we agreed that we needed to have new, fresh assets. So then... How do we? How do we even take the step from here? Like it was so offline at that stage, uh, not quite where we wanted to be. And that was must have been seven years ago, six, seven years ago. And so, so it, it took that long to finish the film, and we just had to stay with it. You know, find find a person to come on board for the second edit. Is uh, quite a known person in the advertising editing scene. Never done a feature before, and through him, I managed to connect with two sound studios, one who did the music and one who did the sound build and the, what do you call, Foley and all that stuff uh, that we needed. And then 
through him, it was a special effects guy who did some little tweaks that we needed. And, and you know, people I never met before, but we became such an integral part about finishing this movie and who believed in it yeah. because of what the group had created thus far. So I think all I can uh, suggest is that, well, you can you can do three things. You can give up or you can or you cannot. So we choose the latter. You know, like, and it's, it's, it's like how long is a piece of string? You just have to keep believing and keep pushing without being pushy. Yeah. So that's kind of what we did, I guess. Yeah. And I met a great bunch of people, talented people who helped us, and, and it got done, yeah. As you're saying, you're, you're talking about the film taking years to, to come to fruition. In the, the meantime, from when you commenced and to, to now, the conversation about effectively what the themes in the film are about, which is the masculinity and, and about assault and things like that, that's all changed mm. in a public landscape. And I'm curious if... In fact, the the film, I feel that if I'd watched it 10 years ago, it would have resonated, but it resonates even more strongly now because of the cultural conversation that's taking place. So I'm curious if, mm. as you were going through all these steps of post-production and things like that, and you saw what was going out in the world, did you, did you feel like you had something that was resonating with the times that you were speaking to the moment that we we're living in? Yeah, I, 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 th I think so, that... At the same time, it felt like, oh, this is an aged-old problem. You know, they, they, these things have been going on for forever, and they just now uh, spoken about in a different manner, I guess, or a more heightened manner. When the whole hey, Me Too and whatnot, you know, Weinstein, there was a lot going on in 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 the industry. We we're all in as well. We were kind of obviously realizing this is, yeah, this film is becoming more current the older it gets, or you know, the older the process is, um, and and I think now. Well, that all happened around 2016, I guess, uh, when it became, sort of blew up, and it feels like it's still very relevant. I remember feeling a certain walking into the group, like, we need to get this done now. We need, you know, this is this is on point more and more, and we need to get this into festivals, and, but we couldn't because it wasn't finished, and we had no way of pushing it faster. We just had to be patient. So I guess we missed it, and then COVID happened. So we missed a few years there, uh, but it wasn't ready, so it, it's not something you regret either has to be ready so, yeah certainly felt that certainly felt that what we the, the the topics we talked about which felt like they do exist and always have particularly white men and their power in this world uh which we talked about in as grand scale as you could um yeah that that's that's still very much there's a scene which happens later in the film where, <clears throat> where steve's character blows up at somebody who that they're, they're you know, they're out having drinks and stuff like that. And this guy starts talking about you know, 9-11 and things like that. And it's just, um, it comes back to that feeling of what the level of tolerant of things that you will tolerate in day-to-day -day life is. And that's certainly for him a bubbling point there. And I'm curious if you can discuss the, the construction of that scene and that kind of, uh, you know, that heightened uh, tension that is in that moment as well, which... You know, the guy who's on the, the receiving end of Steve's reaction it just kind of laughs it off. But there is so much to pick apart in that scene. And I'm just curious if you can talk about uh, the creation of it. Yeah, again, again, there was a conversation that and we talked about it. And then Stevie, I know Al Flower from before, who's the receiving guy. And we talked about, because there's this other character in the movie who appears very briefly indigenous man across the path and you know we're doing a film about country on country uh, it's called the land it's called the land because you know my family called the land but you know we're calling the film the land so 
to not reflect on the, the level of history and the generations walked this land before us is felt kind of almost like it would be a mishap of big proportions and we needed to kind of include that and uh, you know this speech by Al Flower uh, is very much part of that arc that we wanted to touch on how um, this casual racism that no one really meets uh, head on you know it's just bubbles away at parties or you know like in conversations here and there not you know I'm not saying Australians are racist. I just feel like there's a there's a level of of that casualness about it here, and and uh, and, and uh, so so that that's what's the premise for that speech. However, shooting it, I remember thinking, what the fuck just happened? Because I was blown away with where Stevie took it. I was like, I had no idea it was going to go that hard. So we did another take. I said, can you not go that hard? Because I don't know. I can't process what you just did. Or what you guys just did, and that take didn't work at all. So you know, it, it was great what they're doing, and and uh, but it was also you know like because again we shot it chronologically, and I think Steve by that point, like he found it really hard to go up to the land. It was really taxing, and he's never he's never been back. By the way, he's never returned to this place, and I think you know his character's life was unraveling, and he was on edge. Like his his friend has just put him to the test and said, we need to atone for what we've done. And his character, by atoning, will lose everything he has. That's what he thinks. I'm going, my, you know, I'm going to jail my middle-class life. My wife's going to leave me. I mean, you know, like all that stuff on Drew's head. And they've already been keep competing all night about this younger girl. Mm. You know, Steve is trying to be flirted with her and he's trying to pick her up with her horrible uh, dreams that he has. Yeah, he's completely unraveled. And it's it, it, so... He's complex, and then I, I finally, you know, Steve's character is, is is a guy who who I thought I would really like. I read this, you know, reading the script, and you know, knowing Steve, uh, he's such a jovial, nice fella, and you know, and I think I would like him, but he turns out to be quite an asshole. I think uh, through through watching the film back and and how it just happened to uh, unfold for us, he's not the guy I thought he would be, but in that moment, I think he. He's strong, and I, I kind of started liking him quite a bit after that scene again because he's complex, you know, which, like, we all are. So Yeah, I mean, that's it. We're complex, you know, and it's all what we bring to... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's what we bring to our daily interactions and, you know, how I'm interacting with you now. There's, you know, we've both had years and years of experiences and it informs the moments that we live in day-to-day lives, and I find that so fascinating and how it's brought up in a film like this because it is so inherent in who these characters are. It is talking about the past. It's talking about how it resides in them. And it's, it's great that you talk about the, the importance of, you know, the land itself, because it is, it carries so many stories. It carries so much history there. And yet, you know, these two guys exist on it and try and, you know, not conquer it in any way, but they're just, they're pushing it and nudging it and you know it's almost like they're cajoling themselves as equally as they're cajoling the land and it's just fascinating <laughs> to see them effectively become one as they're swimming in the water at the end <laughs> you know naked together they've become one with the land i, I found that just so interesting and engaging yeah no no yeah it, 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 you know you're so on point i think because i feel like uh that's 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 what 
colonialism is about is not leaving anything as you find it. It's it's literally shaping and shifting everything you have in front of you. You cannot leave anything alone. That's what we do. That's what we do in the bigger picture, and that's what we've been doing for a long, long time, both in this country and across the world. And uh, and and so so it was all about this white power in the big in that big context historically and globally almost um, you know that we you know we want to touch on and but also that kind of smaller smaller by size not by importance but you know they've done something horrific and 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 also like i think they're generally good people both of these characters and with most people are like that i come across in life and i think you know the way he sits in the bathtub and explains it away like it's it's almost like neither of them wanted to make any and any evil but they did and how they deal with that is is kind of the premise of the film rather than you know like they didn't mean to hurt it but they did hurt it very badly and and that's you know it's his character try to kind of justify it because if he doesn't justify it he's it means reckoning and he doesn't want to have reckoning we all like to think that we're able to have conversations frank open conversations with one another and you know, if you can't have it with your mate, then can you even have that conversation with yourself? And that's that's a really fascinating thing to just sit there and go, shit, I've never really, you know, actually thought about how I talk about these difficult things. And I think that's something that a lot of us don't really ever get truly taught or learn or understand how to do it. And that's what I really appreciate about these characters is that there's this one thing that is just sitting there and they're not talking about it. They're not exploring it until obviously they have to, but it's that, that tension there is quite fascinating. This is a film that I'm going to be thinking about for, for quite a bit because of those moments, because of those character interactions. So there's a lot to be proud of. Um, yeah, <laughs> we've got like, um, two minutes left on the Zoom, but I really appreciate you uh, having this conversation and talking about it. It's been uh, quite fascinating. I'm, I'm sorry it's taken so long to organise to have a chat, but, you know, it's had some screenings and stuff. What's the life going forward? Is it going to be available for people to view on, you know, rent and things like that? Or Yeah, that's the, that's the plan. Um, uh, so we have Screen Inc., who's Dob Cornet working on it, and... Um to try to get into streamers and, and I, I know some have been approached and we just hope that that will happen this year. Um, hopefully the, the quota they all have to ad- adapt to uh, of Australian content will work in our favour. Uh, <laughs> they actually grabbed the film. But uh, that, that's, I think that's all we're doing right now. And then I'm also working on a book because I ended up taking, so I built this set on the land over time and it was never meant to be a film set, but this whole structure was, I built that over years, and so I documented just daily pictures of the fireplace and self-portraits, and a few, you know, the the structure coming to life, I guess, because that uh, I did that for whatever reason. And so now I'm trying to make it book, the accidental set build of the land, and and also the script, and and it's a companion piece to the film, where you also get it Blu-ray, and so it's like a book, like a DVD box, but with a book in it, sort of thing. So that's what I'm working on. Uh, but beyond that, um, streamers, hopefully, hopefully we'll find a home. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to oscastnetwork.com for details.